0: Welcome to the latest Gen X Music Show. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th and and noisee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coorsfield, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, restrictions are being lifted. Of course, we did get a, a foot of snow uh, yesterday, but as is it with anything in Colorado, uh, about three, in about three days, it'll all be gone. So if you want to head on over to the dairy block uh, and have some safe, socially distant dining, go ahead and do so outside. uh, It's, they've got a really beautiful area set up there. But if you're like me and you're not really in a position to be doing that, uh, go to bfwdenver.com, get yourself some wine. Um, uh, My personal favorite is the 2017 Cabernet, But they also have uh, Pinots, which, you know, of course, grapes from Sonoma County. So obviously that is their specialty. Outside of that, they got partnerships with some Western Slope wineries, Restoration and Storm Cellars in particular and one in the Elk Mountains. Go to bfwdenver.com and book your virtual wine tasting, which is extremely popular. Um, so if you go there and try to book that, you may have to, it may be a month out before you're able to do it. Just do it now is what I'm telling you. Get there now because they go fast. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Boise, beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Uh, They're on Facebook and Instagram our Blanchard Family Wines. Go to bfwdenver.com to virtue your virtual wine tasting. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Gen X Music Show. Uh, another uh, return guest tonight, uh, my good friend, all the way from the great state of Mississippi, a man who <laughs> is co-host of the, uh, of the State of America podcast and co-host of Digital Killed Radio Star, it is my friend David Hudson. Hello, David. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Mister Morton. How about yourself?
0: I am. I am okay. I I almost hurt my back shoveling snow, which is something that you had some experience with, maybe a couple. Like was it? Well, last we week? had we had
1: ice. Yeah, oh, we had man. it. All right. So the saying in Mississippi is, "If you don't like the weather, um, if you don't like the weather, wait an hour." Yeah. Like it was. It was minus. It was. It was five degrees with a negative ten windshield factor. Wow a week ago tonight it was 75 degrees here today oh my God.
0: but yeah we got three we
1: got three inches of solid ice just wow. solid ice which and we're not equipped luckily all the infrastructure here and everything we were fine like we didn't go without power or pipes and everything we're fine but it was it was paralyzing um you know yeah. we don't have any we don't have you know salt trucks or snow plows or anything so uh the interstates here were shut down it, it was rough but um, ice is always a lot worse
0: than snow. Oh yeah, and uh, uh, my uh, dad and brother went to college in Oklahoma, and they get those ice storms out there. So it is uh, it is not pleasant, certainly. And I'm glad that you guys didn't have the issues that, uh, of course, the state of Texas is having. Oh my God! Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is good. But well, we didn't talk, come here to talk about the weather. We came here to talk about a little band from. England, known as Pink Floyd, and I, I've been debating all day, David, about where to start this tonight. And it occurred to me that, to me, Pink Floyd starts with the album *Metal*. I think that is where I think where Pink Floyd really becomes the Pink Floyd we all know. Yes, there's the *Piper*. The dates of getting at the dates of, get, at the dates of dawn, dawn. Oh my God! At the gates of dawn. Um, with Sid Barrett, and then, of course, then there's Uma Guma and and uh, Adam Hard Mother, and all those soundtrack albums that they did. But really, they were still finding themselves, and of course, when Barrett left, or was you know, forced out, the psychedelia ended. And they turned into something altogether completely different. And the album Metal really was where I think they began honing what became their next album, um, particularly with the song Echoes.
1: I mean, you couldn't, it's like you're inside my head.
0: <laughs> it is, it is so. I, it echoes is one of those songs, and like a lot of people, and I don't, uh, you know, I mean, I, I've ne- you and I haven't talked about this, but I'm sure you're not a huge fan of progressive rock. But. Like, yeah, like Yes or something like that. But, uh, I mean, things that things that like, have, they routinely had 40-minute, 20-minute songs. There's something different about Echoes. Uh, Echoes is uh, just a, something that you can put on and listen all the way through. I think it's, what, 26 minutes long? It's, uh, man, I forgot. It's the side of an album. And uh, it, it was my first exposure to it, it was when I was a kid. My dad had the album Metal. And we wore the hell out of that, um, and it was so good, and it's for for someone when I'm like fourteen years old, fifteen years old, listening to something as uh interesting and long as metal is really kind of was a life-changing experience.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean that, that it's echoes is a, a beast all into itself. and when I got into Pink Floyd so hard in like the mid to late nineties, this is funny you can actually this involves Denver we were flying from here to Denver, from Denver to Vegas, to see Roger Waters on the In the Flesh tour. And so we got on the plane and we asked the pilot, you know, Hey, how long's the flight from here to Denver? And I don't know, it was hour and 45 minutes or whatever. So we judged that by how many times we could listen to echoes between (laughs) here and Denver. And we're like, Oh, that's five echoes. And we'll be there. Um, But yeah, so I completely agree with you though. Metal is where, they became, started to lay the foundation of what they became.
0: Right.
1: Hyper at the Gates of Dawn, I think it's just a silly album. Mm-hmm. I really do. I don't understand the fact, the fascination with Sid Barrett's because he went insane and just disappeared. You know, it's kind of like the people that, the rock, young rock stars that die. Right. It's the mythology of what could have been. And I don't think they would have been a successful band had he stayed in it. Um, and they were completely lost for the next couple of hours. Like, I don't even almost consider those Pink Floyd albums. Yeah. I mean, you can find one or two songs on each one. Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun is good. Fat Old, I like Fat Old Sun. Um, there's a song called, um, yeah, Summer of 68. There's a song called The Nile Song. It's off one of the soundtracks.
0: Yes. Uh, More? Is that on More? I get
1: them. I get them. I don't own anything pre-metal. Yeah. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I, they, they 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 just started to figure out who they were with songs like Echoes and Fearless. And then they took it to a whole new level, Dark Side.
0: Well, it's interesting because you can hear the, the, the groundwork for what became Dark Side on there, particularly with Echoes, but uh our, you know, look, you and I are one of our favorite bands, Black Rose, covered um freedom a lot uh, with uh, Mark Ford and uh, uh, Rich Robinson singing it. Uh, And it was a great cover. And of course, if you've ever heard Blue Floyd, they did a great version of that with Mark Ford. It was, it was, it's a good song that translates to multiple venues. Um, And you can hear like layers of what the, the Gilmore Waters combination was going to be. On the on the next album because it I think to me as a, as a piece of art and I hate using that expression but as a piece of art metal kind of establishes the Pink Floyd as we've been talking about it's the Floyd in 1971 that we all knew and loved and uh, my mom my mom worked concessions at a Pink Floyd gig in 1971 on this tour and wow. uh, that forever tainted her view of Pink Floyd because she said, you wouldn't believe all the burnouts that were in there. <laughs> in 1971, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, you just um, wait. Right. Yeah, wait, wait till they get even more popular. But do you think, like when you go back and listen to to metal, do you find it one of those albums that do you consider it a stepping stone or do you consider it an album that's like part of the evolution?
1: I think it's part of the evolution. For the simple fact that the songs became more concise except for <laughs> echoes. And there was more of like kind of a traditional like Fearless has a traditional song structure. Um, and it's interesting that they had one of these days on there, you know, which is an instrumental except for Nick Mason say one of these days will cut you into little pieces. But I think it's fear I think if you if you just look at that album and you pull out Fearless and Echoes, that's that was what led them on their way to Dark Side, right. and I, I just don't think without Fearless and Echoes we have the Pink Floyd we know of today.
0: Very true. I think those are
1: the two. I think those are the two most important songs they ever recorded.
0: um I, I well, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, and then that led them to the Pompeii gig, which, well, gig, but the recording that they did there, which did later Dave gilmore did a concert there of 2016. Um, yeah. But the Pompeii thing—the Pompeii recording of Echoes—is my, actually my favorite version of Echoes. It is. It, there's something about the surroundings of being mm-hmm. in that ancient artifice that makes it conducive to that that weird piece of music that Andrew Lloyd Webber ripped off for the fan of the Opera that that just that he that he just incorporated into that. But but the aesthetic there is just amazing. And uh, uh, have you seen the, the entire uh, Pompeii recording?
1: Oh yeah! When when I got into Pink Floyd in college, my two roommates were the same way, and we had Delicate Sound of Thunder, Pulse, Pompeii, and we would just watch them. Just we'd stay up literally all night long on, on the weekends. It got, we were obsessed with Pink Floyd. I mean, it was it was an unhealthy obsession, but yeah, you know. Um, the male model David Gilmour has to take his shirt off and play guitar, you know, in it, it, it Pompeii, and uh, you know, but it that was great. If, if for anything that concert video is great for showing them recording Dark Side in spots like when they show them talking. That that it's on that one. And am I getting that confused behind the music?
0: That's the behind the music. That's no. That's the uh, the uh, classic albums. I think they didn't. They show that the okay. uh, you know, yeah making of Dark Side of the Moon.
1: Yeah, my bad, my bad. But yeah, Echo's on there. It's just otherworldly. And you're like, here's these four guys, and they're making this much noise. And it's this, it's so sophisticated. It's such a sophisticated song. And they're yeah. just in the middle of Pompeii, you know, playing it. I mean, I can't imagine, like, if you're the camera guy, like, what is, what's going on here? <laughs> you know? Um, it's so but, good. Yeah, Ec- it, it is. It is. And see, I'll. I'll give them this. The songs that they play on that from their early career sound great on it.
0: Oh, they do. They do. Right. I, that's it. Um, you know, I, I think some of the things that they did on Umaguma were interesting experiments, you know, going back to there. But Umaguma is like, you don't need a double album with four uh, side long uh, songs that are just basically free form experiments. Every time I hear Umaguma, I think, uh, this is Spinal Tap uh, we're, not, we're not about to do a freeform uh, jazz exploration in front of a festival crowd well that's exactly right. what, that's exactly what they were doing on Umaguma um, and I think they needed to woodshed through that experience because you can see how tight they were by the time you're watching the Pompeii experience uh, Roger Waters, I think, is an underrated bass player. Um, he's got a good technique. Um, he's not the musician that Dave Gilmore is, obviously. But you can tell how they, he, lo- he was locked in with Nick Mason. And, of course, the underrated John Paul Jones of, uh, of uh, Pink Floyd was Rick Wright. And him singing on those verses and do- doing everything that he absolutely did. Um, one of my favorite re- Pink Floyd recordings ever is just them doing Echoes of Pompeii. I think that um, encapsulates Pink Floyd, in a, particularly that era of Pink Floyd, in a way that I don't think you could possibly get on record.
1: No. And they took that cohesiveness into the studio when they made Dark Side of the Moon. You're right. They had to, they had to go out there and do that and, and play those songs and then take that kind of like the crows did to some extent between shake your moneymaker and Southern harmony, take it out, get tight. And then get in the, you know, get in the studio.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's harder with the music they were doing because, uh, particularly by the time we get to the, their seminal, their the big one. Uh, the of the Moon. by the time you get there, the, the experimentation, it's thick and heavy. Uh, and a lot of that was due to Nick Mason and his his sound effects and his and his loops. And but what you got was a entire album's worth of cohesive, legendary music, absolutely legendary. And and there's an album that I don't think you can call overrated. It's one of the few mm-hmm. extremely popular albums that you can't look at and say, yeah, well, you know, other this underground album was better or something like that. Pink Floyd dark side of the moon is legendary for a reason it's because it's a perfect in my view piece of art from a to z
1: it's one continuous piece of music
0: mm-hmm. it know, is
1: um, and a lot of what you just interesting essentially what you just said about the drum loops i don't think they get credit for that they were the i mean that's pioneering mm-hmm. at the time and the other thing about that album it may be the most perfectly recorded album of all time. If you put that on right now, I'm sitting here, I got mine out uh, on my turntable. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it was recorded yesterday. As a matter of fact, it sounds better than things that were recorded yesterday. And like you said, it's just a piece of art. And I almost view Pink Floyd, like if you're like, hey, what are your favorite bands? Obviously it's the Black Crows. Number two would be Pink Floyd. But I almost they almost take on another type of meaning. They're almost not like a band to me. It's like an experience, yeah. you know, visually everything they did with, um, is it Storm Thorgerson? Is that who it was? I Storm
0: Thorgerson. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, the videos that they consistently have the best album covers of all time. And then the videos that you would see, and they were so kind of abstract, like at times you really didn't know what was going on. You, just, you know, be a person walking through a field with these big balls, uh, you know, falling from the sky or whatever, yeah. Yeah. but they, they, they revolutionized everything visually, sonically. And to me, I think dark side of the moon is more of a con- a better concept album than like quadrophenia yeah. or Tommy. I mean, because those albums were kind of almost like a movie. It was like a, you had a story arc. Yeah. Whereas Dark Side of the Moon is exploring, you know, insecurity, the, you know, the downside of capitalism, insanity. And you had to be able to draw all that together yourself and figure out that's what it was about. And so I think I think it's the greatest concept album of all time.
0: I, I, I'm with you there. Um, I think the standout portion, at least in my view, is "Great Gig in the Sky." I think that is the eight. That is that is the even though there's much more well-known songs. Even though there are songs that uh, you hear on the radio all the time, like "Money," you know, "Breathe," uh, "Time," "Us and Them," so you know, classics. To me, the 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 album hinges on "Great Gig in the Sky" because it is it is God doesn't have lyrics to it. It's a transition piece. It is. But it is a such a such a it's a, it's a song that lifts you up completely. It it takes you from one area and it takes you to the apex for the rest of it to kind of descend into something else. I think with uh, just in my view, if that album does not have great gig in the sky, the album doesn't work. To me, that's simply put, because then it just becomes a, a album with great songs. This took it into a kind of a transcendent thing. Because look, uh, if you, you see them play it in concert. And it's still fantastic. Still fantastic. Uh, it On Pulse, on uh, uh, mobile, or, uh, Delicate Sound of Thunder. Um, it's unfortunate we don't have any real great live recordings from the, uh, the Waters era. But it's all so, it, it, it works so well. And to me, breaking Gig in the Sky kind of in, in, in basically is the quintessential Rick Wright Pink song. It is, it is his maybe his ab- apex moment as a, a member of Pink Floyd.
1: The secret weapon is exactly what he was.
0: Yes. The John Paul Jones of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of Pink Floyd. And they toured on that for two years. Two solid years of touring that extended even into them re- while they were recording Wish You Were Here uh that's insane. which is which is strange
1: <laughs> which is strange because in the 70s you had all of these almost concrete touring cycles right. you tour for four four months maybe and that's it you go take a month off go right back into the studio mm-hmm. of course this thing was selling like hotcakes it still still does I, yeah. i'd like to see how much money they make a week off of this still Amazing. but yeah you're right there was no way they were going to pull them off the road
0: well they kept um, touring and touring and they were workshopping Wish You Were Here songs while they were on tour. So they were playing these songs, uh, especially in those 74 gigs, 1974 gigs. They were they were playing, uh, I think, Have a Cigar and um, uh, uh, Shine On You Crazy Diamond in different forms. Uh, they were really – that's what I, – I mean, this is one thing I miss – and I think this is what, what people miss about touring artists and all this stuff, is, is our, our band, the Black Crows, our favorite band, the Black Crows, they did that, too. They workshot, they woodshedded these songs on tour, played them. I mean, nonfiction is probably the song that everyone remembers. Oh, man, yeah, I remember nonfiction on the, on the uh, Highs of the Moon tour. You know, they were, they were playing that. They played that in Phoenix, you know, uh, two years before the Amorica came out. Right uh same thing in the 70s led zeppelin would do it uh and pink floyd would do it and it's a great way to work out a song before you put it on the album and that's why all these songs ended up so good by the time they ended up being recorded
1: yeah I and I love that when bands do it i think that's a sign of first of all they're good musicians second of all they have a lot of uh they've a lot of confidence in themselves. Right. Because you risk, first of all, and it also speaks volumes of the fan base because let's be honest, you go see Beyonce and she sings a song that's never been on the record. Right. People are aren't going to know what to do, you know, to tune out, but yeah, the widespread panic, man, for a while, like they'd have a new album out and half the songs had been in rotation for like five or six years. Right. So they're real big on it. But yeah. So Floyd did that and they did that with animals. Some, one, I think sheep was called raving and drooling, and right. I forget what dogs was called. Yeah. Um. But that to me is one of the things I love about music, and these bands that do that. And you can you can go listen on some of the deluxe editions. You can listen to raving raving and drooling, you know, before mm-hmm. the album came out. But yeah, you're right. They they toured so much for this, and it was just a cash cow. And obviously it's probably where, you know, have a cigar and welcome to the machine came from, Uh, you know, their displeasure with all that, but how this was on the charts for like 10 years, wasn't
0: it? Oh, more than that. Uh, It was, it did not leave the charts for something like 20 years Uh, and it was on the lower rungs, but it was on the charts and it was insane. I, you don't, you don't get, you don't get an album that just lingers like that. (laughs) <laughs> you never get an element no. that lingers like that. Like, I
1: don't think Thriller, Thriller didn't do that.
0: No, because Thriller uh, sold, I mean, dominated for a solid year and a half on the charts, which is, I mean, just like a tsunami of, of, of purchasing. But, the, the, but Dark Side of the Moon was just like a Sherman tank. It was just slowly but surely just going and going and going. And there's a staying power to that. And a lot of that had to do with FM radio at the time. Um, or at back in the 70s, AM radio. That, And then when it kicked into classic rock radio, it was just perfect. It just went right into that. And then people would buy the albums based on these, you know, Hearing Breathe, uh, you know, on a Two for Tuesday or something like that with Pink Floyd. And then they would, they would just get album sales based on this, and it's amazing. Um, and I think Wish You Were uh, Here... Has, uh, has suffered in comparison, but I think that's kind of unfair because Wish You Were Here is, is I think, got some of Pink Floyd's best ever songs. Uh,
1: well, the band says it's their best album.
0: Right. And I, I look, any album that's got the first, to me, they could have just lopped off the second part of Second Wish, uh, Shine On You, Crazy Diamond. <laughs> mm-hmm. They could have just put that off the album and maybe put another song on there. Uh, but the the first Shine On Your Crazy Diamond, perfect. Perfect. Uh, wish You Were Here, sublime. Absolutely sublime. Um, they really concentrated on song craft with that rather than making it a extended piece of music like uh, uh, ch- uh, Dark Side of the Moon. And I, I think it worked. And I think it worked really well. Imagine... Hey, if you're an al- or you're a band, uh, you're going to follow up one of the greatest albums of all time, maybe in the top five, with "Wish You Were Here," which is also really, really, really good.
1: <laughs> Don't you think? Also, it was kind of interesting they put out a sh- uh, an album with only five songs on it.
0: Yeah, I mean. When you have 26 minutes of shine on your crazy time, time. right? <laughs> That's, uh, but I like that the fact that they had the balls to put Roy Harper singing as one of their own songs on it. I mean, that takes some. Have balls. you
1: heard? Ha- have you heard one of the alternate versions where it's Waters?
0: Uh, I have not. I'm sure it's not good. I
1: think it's on like one of the deluxe editions. But <laughs> I, I don't understand. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. i I mean the let's be honest roger waters has a very very small range and he has to stay in that range or he is exposed big time but um the version i've heard with Waters singing it, it's not bad really Um, i'm gonna have to hear
0: it yeah i can't believe i never yeah i mean
1: well i for the longest time i thought that was him until i read um there's a book called saucer full of secrets uh, about them that i read and it's like you know roy harper's thing i'm like who's roy harper and of course led zeppelin has a song don't they call like ode to roy harper or something like hats that. that's off
0: Hats off that's off yeah <laughs> hats yeah off to roy. yeah that's a uh, roy harper was around the scene um very good friends with dave gilmore Um uh, jimmy page was a big big fan uh he was really into that whole um uh Kind of occult thing that Jimmy Page was doing, um, but Roy Harper just—I think he just—the thing is, he just happened to be recording an album in the other studio. I think that's the story, and they couldn't get it right with any of them singing, even Dave. And they said, "We're like, we're gonna uh, someone." I think it was Gilmore who had the idea to bring Roy Harper in to sing the song, and he nailed it. He he absolutely nailed it, and I can't picture anyone else singing that song because of that
1: no no and it's funny like have you ever seen waters in concert i have i've seen him in flesh tour the wall and on us and them Mm -hmm. but whenever they play that you got to think he's getting some some help (laughs) (laughs) you know um i there there's a i don't know if it's real or not but Let's go for the sake that it is. Mm-hmm. There's a YouTube video that supposedly has his hot mic on it, and you could pick him what he's actually singing versus like you know they got the backing tracks. And if it's if it's legit, it's horrific. You need. I'll see if I can find it and send it to you. <laughs> I to mean, he's, least. <laughs> he, he's it's he's just basically whispering. It's like come out here, dear boy. I mean, it's pretty bad. Um, <laughs> But anyway, um, I I don't like it when people use backing tracks, but
0: it's a necessary yeah. evil at times. It, it, the it, guy's it is, like seventy years old. I mean, oh, come on. Yeah, he's got to be almost eighty now. And 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 the funny the funny thing about Rob Waters is, and this that's an interesting. I'm glad you brought him up because the cracks of they begin to appear appear in King Floyd right now. Uh, and a lot, and if you watch the classic albums, they said. That they all were like, we should have stopped after Dark Side of the Moon. Even though they all, all say that, that uh, Wish You Were Here is their best album. Uh, and it's a very British way of going about it. It's like, we'll stop. it stopped being fun. We achieved everything we wanted. Why were we still going? You know, that sort of thing. And you could see the cracks starting to appear by then. And it all kind of devolved into uh, what you got with animals. Now, I happen to like animals a lot. And I know you feel the same. Um, it is a, it, I think, one of the reason it probably didn't do as well as the other two is because it's kind of bleak. But it is, I mean, you and I have talked about exchange text messages about this. Dogs is right up there among their best songs. I mean, maybe Gilmore's, some of Gilmore's best guitar work ever is on Dogs. And it's a shame to me that they just, kind of abandoned playing those songs later because man, I would love to hear dogs again in <laughs> a life setting.
1: I would too. I think it has a lot in common with, well, you know, we can tie everything to the black crows. It has a lot in common with three snakes and one charm. Right. So Southern harmony was their dark side. They, the crows come back, do a morca, which I think I've heard some members of the band say is their favorite album. And they follow that up with this with three snakes in one charm, which is really dark. Yeah. And animals, animals is by far. Fo- well, I guess the wall is probably darker just because of kind of the subject matter. And, and, yeah. and it, you know, I think it's kind of personal for Waters, but animals is one of the most biting political albums ever written. Right. And if you go and read the lyrics and then find out about like the three pigs and who they represent and things like that it is lyrical genius oh yeah uh and especially you know you're talking about dogs is there anything better than when it gets into that gilmore breakdown with the guitar when he comes in i mean so good you know he he (laughs) doesn't play many notes but man he makes them all you know makes them all worth it but i love on those waters tours they'll come out and they get to that long breakdown, you know, the stone, 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 stone. And they all put on the dog faces and sit and yeah. play poker.
0: <laughs> I Dave Gilmore is an interesting guitar player. He's very tasteful. He's got a very distinct uh, style. Um his solo albums are kind of boring because he it's their they're, they're If you don't have the edge of Roger Waters there, it just kind of becomes a snooze fest because he's very lyrical in the way he plays. Not a lyricist himself, but his playing is just floats along on a different plane as the way I've always described it. And his tone of his guitar is sublime. Absolutely no one has tone on their guitar like Dave Gilmore. Just just perfect, absolutely perfect tone. That's why you always know a Dave Gilmore solo, and some of the tones he was getting on dogs are just just so perfect. Just so he's the king
1: different. of he's the he's the king of tone. Oh yeah, and, so I, good. and I think he's the greatest strat player of all time. I think he's a better guitar player than Clapton.
0: Oh, he's definitely better than Clapton. Yeah, definitely better than Clapton. Now Clifton, I will Clifton's tell you, like a professor, you know?
1: <laughs> Gilmore. <laughs> no, Gilmore should have gotten the slow hand moniker. Right. Because uh, I was listening to an interview the other day, and he said, "He said I can't play fast. Like I can't, I can't play fast, yeah. and that's why, like, that's how I got my style." He says, "I just can't play stuff that's quick."
0: And you know what? But there's something to be said for the right note, right? And I think one of the things that you hear on on, on Gilmore solos is that not only is it the right note, it's the right note at the right time. And that is a, I mean, as someone who's a a guitar player himself, I could play for a million years and never get that kind of feel for where a note goes. And it's just something that is natural talent. And I will always appreciate that about Dave Gilmore. Always appreciate that. The man can just hit it right. And that is legendary talent in my view.
1: It does it in a way that it's not dated. I mean, the, the solo on Dogs would sound good if somebody recorded it today. Right. Um, you know, it doesn't sound like, quote-unquote, classic rock from the 70s or no. anything like that. And you're right. He's so tasteful with what he does. And, you know, like, particularly my favorite song of all time is Comfortably Numb off Pulse. Yeah. And that extended solo at the end, I can listen to it 10 times in a row and the hair stands up on my arm. Oh, yeah and it, it's you know a buddy of mine that i've had on my podcast he's been playing guitar for like 30 years he actually said that gilmore said told them when they were filming it there were certain parts of that solo he didn't want his hand showing in the video really? uh, which i thought was kind of was kind of interesting yeah and so especially that thing at the end i mean i don't i'm not a guitar player so i don't really where it seems like he's just you know, I'm talking about the end where he's, I guess he's using the whammy bar. Yeah, the,
0: the, the de- ascending and descending drops with the whammy bar.
1: Yeah, I've, I've just never heard anybody do that.
0: <laughs> he And he's also very, I mean, he's got um, um, just a, 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 a certain way, a certain way he phrases those. Those. It's like there, there are certain things you can pick out with a game. day. Uh, his technique is very, very distinct to the point where you know how he picks on the strings. You can know you know it's him by the way he's hitting those strings. Uh, there is a mm-hmm. Paul McCartney song called No More Lonely Nights that uh, Dave Gilmore does the solo on at the end. It is so distinctly Dave Gilmore. You cannot get away from it. It is Dave Gilmore to the T. And I, that's what I love about him. And, and the kind of transition to Roger Waters, Roger Waters brought the bite. He brought the cynicism, I guess is the best way to put it, because there's no more cynical person on this planet than Roger Waters. And the cynicism, coupled with the lyrical, higher playing guitar playing, is just perfect. And I don't, and the synthesis of those two things are why in my view, other than, you know, Rick Wright doing what he does and providing the texture. But by the time Animals rolls around, Rick Wright's not quite as involved as he used to be. Um, but he is still there. But, you know, he's he's not to where he was on the wall, but he is there now and, and that, with that thing. But he's not as involved in Rick and obviously Nick Mason. Is. But Animals is really a Roger Waters, Dave Gilmore tour de force. And I think you could argue that "Wish You Were Here" and um, animals is, at least in my view, I mean, they, I could make the argument. I could say that that is where they reached their kind of quote unquote songwriting as an actual songs. Zeno.
1: Well, they have to have each other right. because Gilmore cannot write lyrics, right? And Roger Waters cannot sing and play guitar, right? And. If you listen to a Gilmore solo album, the lyrics are pretty bad. You know, I don't know. I guess it's known, but I guess since like 88, it's pretty much his wife that writes most of the lyrics. Polly, um,
0: Samson. Polly, Polly
1: Samson. Polly Sampson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then you listen to like, Water's solo stuff to me is way more missed than hit. Mm-hmm. And part of it is it doesn't have the musicality that Pink nice. Floyd has now you was it clapton played on pros and cons of hitchhikers or whatever and i mean there's some moments but they have to have one another and it's the classic case of we really need to be divorced but we really need to be together to be successful and that's got to be very frustrating if you're one of them because it's it's just evident that they have to have one another and just go put on a water solo album or a gilmore solo album and and I mean, just, and look at the, look at the lyrics of some of the songs, the post Waters era. I mean, they're, they're, they're suspect at times. There's some really good songs after Waters left, but yeah, I just, I wish they could somehow patch their differences up and just give us one, one run.
0: One of my, one of my things is that, you know, we moved to the, you know, when you go to the wall, what I, one of the reasons I was kind of like going back and forth and what can you say about the wall that hasn't been set already it is probably the most overanalyzed uh, Pink Floyd album, probably because of the movie uh, that mm-hmm. has, is in their canon. Um, obviously, "Comfortably Comfortably Numb" as an apex, but as as a it's a cinematic view of Roger Waters' nihilistic view of being a rock star. That's all you really need to know. And there's some great songs on it, but that it really is the point where you're starting to see Pink Floyd not be Pink Floyd. Anymore. Was on the, on the wall. It really was Roger Waters. Then now you could make an argument that it's Roger Waters' tour de force. I mean, as as someone who is as 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 his apex as a writer of songs or writer of lyrics, uh, probably you could argue Roger Waters never got any better than some of the things he did on the wall. At least in composing a narrative, right? Um, and I think that's at least that's the way I look at it. But it, it to me. I don't go back to the wall as much as I go back to animals. Wish you were here. Uh, uh, obviously dark side.
1: When I felt like I listened to dark side and you know, all the um, wish you were here and everything. I listened to those all the way through, but you almost have to listen to the wall all the way through.
0: Right.
1: If you know, if you start it, and I think it's a little bloated. Um, I don't like the ending um i think the ending's kind of corny uh, especially yeah. like if you see the performance live yeah. i wish they could have ended it with um somehow move comfortably numb back a few songs and just ended with that because right. that's the perfect i'm out. well and run like hell i understand i understand why mm-hmm. that's where it is but the wall though is like one of the things that is so much different is when you take animals and wish you were here in dark side of the moon yes they were concepts but there was some ambiguity in the lyrics right that you had to you know pick through there's no ambiguity on the wall it's like reading a movie script yes now he's brilliant the way he did it the way he you know goes between him as a child and then you know him as a rock star and how he integrates his you know family life into it, which i think is brilliant and his genius
0: mm-hmm. but
1: to me part of the mystique of pink floyd is the ambiguity in the lyrics what are they talking are they singing about outer space you know or and and with the wall it's very much a narrative
0: yeah oh 100 and you can't really i i they only toured i think they only they did 20 gigs for the wall and it was extremely expensive and they all hated doing it Uh, rick wright was a paid member of the band by then he wasn't an official member right and I heard they, that
1: Rick Wright's the only member of the band that made money on that tour.
0: Yes, because he was, he was salaried, which is amazing. Right. And uh, he, made, he made money, and then, of course, you know, they didn't want him around anymore. Um, and then the funny thing about it is, you know, people talk about how Roger Waters mistreated um, Rick Wright by firing him during the wall. Dave Gilmore didn't make uh, Rick Wright an official full member of Pink Floyd until 1994. And yep. Rick Wright had been back in the band since they, since 85, you know? And it, right. it's, it's, it's like there was, it wasn't just Waters that had the, the, the issue with uh, Rick Wright. And the problem you come to with, with the final cut is that not only does it have no Rick Wright, Nick Mason's not there by that point, and it's just not a good album. It is just, I, I, I think, I, li- I, I like Not Now John, I like Fletcher Memorial Home, but outside of that, it's just too bleak, too nihilistic, and it didn't have the musicality that the other albums have.
1: Full disclosure, I've never made it be able to listen to the album all the way through.
0: <laughs> I don't play it.
1: Because I remember when I saw Waters the first time on in the Flesh tour, they played Southampton Dock mm. and when they started playing. I looked at my buddy and I've never heard this song. What is this? He's like, it's off the final cut. And I go, oh, well, that's why. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean if you read if you read the books, like the recording of that, they were never in the studio together. Yeah. Gilmore would just come in and record his guitar parts and was he was already one foot out the door and everybody else was already out the door.
0: Right. And it was they didn't tour on it. Um and they were basically and then eighty five waters quits and then they decide to get back together. Uh Gilmore, uh, Wright, and Mason, and he sues them, and then that turned into a whole big thing that didn't get resolved for several years. Um, You're getting to the Gilmore era with momentary lapse of reason, and I'm going to put it together with Division Bell. Division Bell, I think, is a better album, uh, It's a more cohesive album. It's not dated. It is uh, it is a as a piece of art. It's better. It's a it's a high class David Gilmore solo, solo album in my view. It is like an elevated David Gilmore solo album, with Rick Wright singing "Wearing the Inside Out," which is one of my favorite songs on that album. Um, "Momentary Lapse of Reason" is a dated, uh, very '80s, um, glossy to the point of overproduction album, and it is extremely boring.
1: <laughs> well, you know, they recently remixed remixed it, and it sounds so much better.
0: Yeah, I um, heard that. I need to go back and listen to that because I, I just, like, I have a mental block with Noventary Labs for <laughs> some reason that I probably did. Well, didn't but it,
1: does, it does have one of my favorite Pink Floyd songs on it, On the Turning Away.
0: Oh, that's a good song. Yeah.
1: That guitar outro on that, especially live, um, Gilmore's vocals on it, it just does – he does this great thing with the guitar – a cup, this an acoustic, it's just strumming an acoustic guitar, and it's just angelic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of their their big anthems. But getting back to the album as a whole, man, you can tell it's 1987. Oh man, uh, they're in love with the drum sound. Um, and it had those kind of like weird short interludes or instrumentals,
0: it mm-hmm. didn't make any
1: sense. It was almost like he was like, I've got to put something out, I really don't have a lot. <laughs> yeah you know i've got I've got learning to fly and I've got on the turning away and everything else is pretty much junk. I will tell you though the remix version like song like sign of Life is a lot better oh, really? sorrow is better yeah they've take they've done their best to pull the eighties out of it oh wow and, and and give it a little more like the guitars instead of the guitars being kind of big and anthemic they're a little more, got a little more crunch to them mm. but yeah I understand why people you know dislike that album it's not you're never going to hear me go oh let's put on momentary lapse of reason and you know have a few beers but the division bell i think is a really really strong album it is Um, it it has has one of my favorite songs on there, lost for words which is Mm -hmm. obviously about roger waters right you have coming back to life which is one of the more original songs they've ever done and then you had the cool instrumentals and then I mean, I don't know about you, but I think High Hopes may be the best thing he's done post-Waters, lyrically and musically
0: Well, I love the slide solo that he does at the end, it's it's really good and it was really good on Pulse that was one oh, of the gosh. that was one of the peak live performances on Pulse I thought um, especially at uh, the, the endless river forever and everything wrong you know, just, it yeah. just goes went with it perfectly. But that is quintessential Dave Gilmore, right? The knowing exactly where to do it, how to do it, you know, and it was, it. it to me, Division Bell is too long. I mean, it was done during that era of CDs where bands were like, we got to fill up the entire allotted amount of CDs. Right. <laughs> so with all these albums, like, uh, I don't know if you ever heard Coverdale Page, but it's like 66 minutes long. And It's like there's no reason yeah. for this album to be 66 minutes long, like right. that's what all bands were doing that at the time, and and same thing with the division bell, it's really long, and that is my only complaint with it. Outside of that, uh, wearing the inside out is like one of my favorite post you know, post uh, waters songs that is a Rick Wright song, um, and it kind of is a nice capstone, because really it is officially their last album. Mm-hmm. Uh, 94, it's hard to believe. And when you look back on, because the Gilmore era is only two albums. When you look back on it, do you think Gabe Gil- David Gilmore's heart was in reviving Pink Floyd? Because it seems to me like he did it, because obviously it's a cash cow, and you make a uh, Shitload of money when you tour with Pink Floyd, but it, to me it seems like he really was done with Pink Floyd, but kind of was kind of stuck on it in it. And then after the Division Bell tour, he's like, "I I'm done. I'm I don't need this anymore." And he's never really gone back, other than the reunion show in two thousand five.
1: No, and I used to be solidly Team Gilmore, like solidly Team Gilmore the last 10 years, I'm starting to go to Roger Waters side because Roger Waters has extended the olive branch. And he was, you know, he's the one that's saying we need to, you know, go out and tour this, but Gilmore, I think just walked away from it. 94. It's like, I'm done. And I'm, I'm not going back to it. And I don't know if it was, you know, the grandiosity of that pulse tour, which, I mean, that was a mammoth stage. They were playing football stadiums. Uh, It was a long tour. And, just the money he made off that tour, he could never have to work again the rest right. of his
0: life. Right.
1: And I, I do respect people though that can say, "I'm going to walk away from it when I," because they could have kept touring with something like Pults and would still be selling out football stadiums today. Right. Right. I mean, right. It, it's never. It's never. That's never not going to be a hot ticket. So yeah, he just walked away from it. And what was it? On a Island was the solo album that came out. Well, you know, after. Yeah. all of that. And it's got a few moments on it, but I think sometimes in his solo life, he's trying to prove to himself to the people that I'm a solo artist and I'm not just the guy from Pink Floyd. Right. And sometimes it sounds very, very, very forced.
0: Well, particularly if you watch the Pompeii gig that he did in 2016, the songs that on his new album then were kind of eh, not really good. They, they were just they were playing him and it was like there everyone's smiling on the stage but it's almost like if we keep smiling the band, the, the audience will eventually like it kind of thing and I I, I just I, it was just boring and but other than when he did the pink Floyd songs and that's really what people are there to see him for now I will say this about Roger waters he has kept the flame alive and the wall tours he did sold out unbelievably um, they that that obviously that album lends itself to theatricality. Um, the Us and Them tour did really well. He played two two nights at Pepsi Center out here in Denver. Um, it every tour he's done post reunion has been huge, and it's clear to me neither of these guys need it. But Roger Waters is the one who's like more magnanimous about it right now.
1: And he's the one that puts his heart into it because there's no stone left unturned with those water solo shows. Um, I thought the us and them tour, did you, did you go see it?
0: Uh, I did not see that tour. No. It I've was over. YouTube.
1: It was overwhelming. The visuals were overwhelming. And like I paid a buttload of money to go see that and the visual, it was so visually stunning. You forgot to look at the band. Yeah. I mean, it was a full, it was a full on experience. Same way with the wall. Like, I don't even consider going to see the wall, a concert. That was a, that was just an event. Um, it's the most yeah. money I've ever paid for a ticket third row dead center. <laughs> <Wow>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's a show, you know, it's, it's like, it's like going to a Broadway play. Right. And you, it makes you kind of appreciate all the, 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 Effort and let them, that's something we haven't covered. But the Pink Floyd shows, the light shows, everything they did, even going back to the '60s, very well thought out, very spent, meant to uh, kind of or, uh, tickle your the the, the oral palate, basically. That basically have you so overwhelmed that you're not looking at the musicians, as you pointed out and you could tell that pink floyd did not want you looking at them there were times Roger Rogers would turn his back to the audience completely right <laughs> or, <below the> <laughs> or build a wall build a wall exactly and but that their shows were visually spectacular i mean you're talking about we're talking about pulse that that uh, mirror ball opening up at the top of earls court was was i'm sure if you're in the audience that had to be completely overwhelming
1: and, dep- and depending on what frame of mind you were in, terrifying.
0: Could be, especially if there was a pig <laughs> flying over you. <laughs> at, the,
1: at, the, at the Us and Them tour, we were like five rows from the floor, but that pig got so close to us that you could feel the air from the fan blowing on you when it went past you. Uh, I <laughs> wonder in that tour, did anybody ever get their hands on it, you know?
0: I, I I think they they there was this big lawsuit between the, in the lawsuit between Waters and then the rest of Pink Floyd. One of the things that he wanted he kept the rights to was the pig. So in order to differentiate the uh, uh the, the pig, uh, they put uh, a, a pig with giant balls on it. <laughs> Pink Floyd did so in order to. Avoid the copyright infringement <laughs> for <from> Roger Waters. <laughs> That's some pretty petty shit, right there. So. <laughs> those
1: those guys are petty. I mean, both of them are. They they don't mind taking a shot at the, at the other person still to this day, which blows my mind.
0: I, it, it is. It is. I think when if I am going to look at the legacy of this band and pioneering the stagecraft that they did, the visuals. I, to me, it's all about what they did on their albums, at least for me. And their run from metal to animals, and even the wall, is unparalleled. It is, it is one, two, three, four, five albums of just solid gold. And it is hard, it is hard any band out there to, to have a streak of albums that good and hit a peak like that, both commercially and critically and creatively that lasts for that long and sets you for life. And really that if, it, if we're looking at the story of Pink Floyd, that's kind of to me what it is, is that they hit a, a, a creative streak so good that uh, despite their problems, um, internal problems, that uh that it's almost unparalleled in rock music
1: and not only did they have that five album run they never sold out creatively
0: nope
1: and they t- and if you think about it they took more and more chances with with each album right you know we released dark side of the moon let's release an album with five songs on it let's release animal animals an album with five songs on it two of them are a minute and a half long you know um that's a concept of oh let's put out a rock opera and call it the wall
0: mm-hmm. and they
1: had the they had the Midas touch and it's almost like the person that that just goes insane because they're so talented and they you know gets they outthink themselves in their head and that's what the final cut was
0: I, It every, every artist has that I mean we're talking about the Black Crows I think they probably hit their zenith with the three albums they released from '92 to '96, um, and then they come out with a couple albums. I know you and uh, uh, Ian have talked about how your personal love for By Your Side and uh, Lions specifically, um, mm-hmm. but that those are basically their versions of the Final Cut and the Ball. Those are very Rich Robinson, specifically Lions, a very Rich Robinson album. But right. it's you know it's on the downhill side. It's not, it's not what it was back when they were at their creative peak. Pink Floyd. The wall should have ended it right there. Should have just said, you know what, guys? We're done. The final cut was just, is just bad. It's just a bad album. <laughs> and it so, almost sounds like
1: bad demos that it does. <laughs> we're just laying around. We're like, yeah, we got these stripped down demos. We're just going to put them
0: out. And for that matter, so is Momentary Lapse of Reason. I, I associated both of those albums in the same kind of they're, they're not the same sounding, but the same kind of way. They're, they're a glorified solo albums, not fully realized, and they were fortunate that they finished out with Division Bell, which is really good. I don't include The Endless River. That's just mm-hmm. some throwaway garbage that they had put on an album as a tribute to Rick Wright. basically. Um, so it's really not an album. But Division Bell is a good way to end it. And most bands can't say that. Really can't. Mm. You know, our, our, very our, few go out on top. Our band, the Black Crows, they they ended with "Before the Frost." So, depending on on your stance on that. <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, to be fair, uh, uh, I do love "Good Morning, Captain," um, but there are there are just there's just there's just I love talking about a band that's so creative and and hits such an apex like Pink Floyd did that you you have to sit back and just, I think, almost universally admire what they were able to accomplish in a relatively short time span from 71 to 80. I mean, that's nine years, five albums that you, metal sounds nothing like The Wall. Right. (laughs) Nothing like The Wall, but it's the same band. And that's truly amazing.
1: Truly amazing. I agree with you. And just a band that if you get them, you get them. And like, if you're around somebody else, that's a Floyd fan. It's like a mutual admiration society. You just love it. Um, I don't know if any band has ever evoked as much emotion for me as they, as they do. Right. Um, Like I said, there's certain songs you you hear, no matter how many times I hear echoes, i get goosebumps Com the solo pink floyd pulse comfortably numb mm-hmm. i just i don't i don't know how he just doesn't drop his guitar when he's done and walk off stage because there's never you're never going to be able to top that there's no and i tell you what i was so looking forward to the Pompeii film that solo that he did on Pompeii is pales in comparison it's too pitchy uh, you know he he's he's lost a step um but getting back to what I was saying, like, if you love this band, this music is timeless and it moves you and you have strong opinions and reactions to the music, which I think is great because it's a, it makes you think. And then that means you care. Right. And that's a sign, you know, it's like, we talk about the black crows people. It's not a bad thing that people dislike by your side. It's actually a good thing because it shows you did something that mattered right you know right. there's three albums that came before that they mattered right. and by your side a lot of people don't like it's because the other ones mattered and right. that's the same thing with pink floyd the reason some people just choose team gilmore or team waters it's because it mattered to them right. and they're one of the most consequential bands of all time visually sonically thematically we haven't even talked about how great their album covers were. I mean, Dark Side, the cover of Dark Side of the Moon is a great album cover
0: of all time, in my opinion. In, and it's know, not even close. Hypnosis was the company and Storm Thorgerson was the, uh, the designer. Storm Thorgerson also designed the, uh, Led Zeppelin album presence. Um, and he did a couple of it. He also did the yes album going for the one. Um, it just, he was a classic album artist. Um, or they the, did some of
1: those um, scorpions albums in the seventies as well,
0: right? He yeah, did that one too. And my favorite cover he did was "Wish You Were Here." I that that was that with the guy on fire them shaking hands. That was just it was perfect. And he and the and the guy was actually on fire. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. He was wearing a flame retardant uh, outfit. Right. I, I you couldn't pay me to do that sort of thing.
1: <laughs> I mean, playing. they were. De- before there was death metal,
0: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but uh, Storm Thorganson like really captured that, and of course, then the the, the illustrations for um, the wall. It's it's just just it's a combination of of visuals and music. Um, but that's why I miss. I mean, I'll, I'll wrap us up with this one, and you can comment on this if you want. Kind of why I miss. Albums, CDs, things that you can hold, you know, I try to, I mean, with an artist I like, I try to get their, their their work. I I get, support them because they get nothing from these streaming services. Right. And I miss going to like Sam Goody or uh, Musicland or any of those places where in the malls Mm -hmm. that you used to go to get to, uh, get these things. And uh, or getting these places. There's a place uh, by where I used to live where I used to get vinyls and I got a whole bunch of uh, I got some uh, Paul McCartney vinyls. I've got like some Pink Floyd vinyl from this used record shop. Um, but you got you got to sit there and experience the album by holding the physical copy in your hand and looking at it. And I think that's what people miss now is they don't get to see it. They don't get the kind of the, 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 the touch in the hand because uh, then that's why I think albums are, and just in my view, that's why albums, quote unquote, as an art form are not, are, are, are dying out because the the format that people use, they download and all this stuff is conducive to one song. That's why you never see these things. They put everything, it, it's like in the 60s where it just bands used to release nothing but singles, uh, particularly in the mid 60s or early 60s. They would just loop single, 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 single. If you, if you talk to British artists at the time, that's all they are about, and, and it's still, in, in England, it's all about singles. Until albums became a thing, and I kind of miss albums being a thing. I'll be honest with you, and that's one thing that Pink Floyd represents to me, is listening to an album and listening to a piece of art from an artist and just enjoying that and experience it, experiencing it both physically and through yours. There's no wasted space.
1: You've no. got the music. You've got the album. How many kids came home from school in 76 put on wish you were here light up a joint
0: <laughs>
1: and lay there and look at the album cover right you know what i mean for pete's sakes they're traveling light shows for pink floyd right that just play, i mean and, and some of their tribute bands do three and four thousand seat arena, you know places i mean that's insane Uh, Like there's what the Australian Pink Floyd show. And then there's one called echoes. Um, I will tell you this real quick. There's a company, I think it's out of Birmingham and they're called black jacket symphony. Have you heard of them?
0: Uh, They sound familiar, but no, I, I, what are they?
1: They do album recreations. So they go get these amazing studio musicians and then they go and Hmm. they put on a show and it does an album note for note exactly like it was recorded well they came through here and a buddy of mine said they were great so we went to go see them and they did dark side of the moon well you know the part where the guy's talking at the beginning and then you know he appears in several other songs they had an actual british guy that sounded just like him standing on the side of the stage blacked out with only his face showing and he's got the microphone in front of him and you don't know that's coming and it it freaked everybody out when (laughs) where's that voice coming from oh there's the weird there's the english guy over there in in the corner you know but like one of the things about them is the is the mythology around them we don't for a long time you didn't know a whole lot about them they didn't tour and so you have the pink floyd light show you have the australian pink floyd band i mean these people do big business because there's such there's such a thirst for this music, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, that's never going to go away.
0: Well, look at Blue Floyd. I mean, they, they were able to get a couple of touring cycles in, just playing blues versions of Pink Floyd songs. <laughs> I mean, that's that is that, uh, that. There's people who have no idea who Blue Floyd is. or listening to this right now, but it's it was Alan, basically
1: government mule sends Warren Haynes with a
0: uh, yeah. <laughs> Alan um, Woody Mark with, with Mark Ford and all that. Stuff. They they would do these covers, and which is why Dark Side of the Mule from 2018 was was just like a perfect extension of that. But um, they did, you know. There's people who make a living out of touring. I mean, uh, I think it's Brit, Brit Floyd is what it's called. That comes mm-hmm. to Red Rocks every year, and they sell out. And it's a tribute yeah. band. It's a freaking yeah. tribute band. And they, they are. They are selling out freaking Red Rocks. I mean, that tells you all you need to know.
1: Exactly. One of the most beloved bands of all time. And um, I, I appreciate you letting me come in here and talk about them because
0: I can I can talk about Pink Floyd all day long. <laughs> and I've probably kept you long uh, – uh, David here is uh, in not in the, in the mountain time zone. Let me just put it to you that way. So he's been, <laughs> he has been good enough to stay up late with me, and I do appreciate it. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> so, uh, David, thank you for joining me. Now, tell everyone where they can reach you and uh, all your various social media and, uh, and your podcasts.
1: Uh, you can find State of Amorca. That's the main one now. Um, anywhere you listen to podcasts, we have a Twitter at State of Amorca. Uh, we have two really big interviews coming up soon um, that I think if you're a fan of the Black Crows, you're going to love. And uh, Ian and I are just uh, chugging away at that. And then I have another one called Digital Kill the Radio Star. That you can find that on any um, platform. It's just basically me and a buddy of mine from college. We talk about all kinds of music. We like to say, you know, we'll talk Johnny Cash to Megadeth and that's pretty much what we do. And uh, you can follow, you can find us on Facebook at digital kill the radio star and on Twitter at digital killed.
0: Well, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, I'll have David on a lot. We'll, we'll, we'll just talk about whatever. And you know what I got to do is like him have, have Ian on again, because I, I, I mean, he was so happy that I invited him the last time I had you guys on. So I should probably do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I mentioned to him I was i he sits I, early earlier in the week or so. Oh yeah, I'm gonna be on Jeff Morton's podcast talking pink Floyd. <laughs> so um yeah, and I I, I want to be on one with Pat.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We'll have Pat on and we'll we'll talk we'll talk about we'll we'll, we'll find a good subject to talk about with, with Mr. Okay. Aaron Uh my CSG Politics Code host and part of Gen Music Show. So anyway, thank you all for joining us on the latest Gen X Music Show. I appreciate everyone who listens, and I will be back soon with another podcast.